0: Hey, good morning, everyone. You guys doing okay? This is great, the front row right here. You guys are nice and close. I love that. Just take a couple steps back. I'll save the lean-in for the the big point, you know. You'll know. I'm going to be right in. Well, it's really special to be with you guys. I love this church. Love Troy and Rachel and Rachel and Shane and love the dream team here. I'm inspired by it. It's like stunning walking in the door and feeling so welcome and so thought of. I think I was offered coffee like three times. I only took it once or else I'd be buzzing up here. Um, No, I really love being here and it's an honor for Rach and I in this season of life to be able to like lean on friends like Shane and other people like that as we're thinking, what does this look like to plant a church and been really inspired by your journey and I love the Tri-Cities, I say this every time I'm here, but I love the Tri-Cities, I grew up in the Tri-Cities, I grew up in Port Coquitlam and Port Moody, and I, pray, I think I've prayed for the Tri-Cities more than any other place in the planet Earth, like I just, just so love these cities and what God's doing here, and I just know, like, I lived here for most of my life, and... Uh, it's hard to build a church in the Tri-Cities. It's a funny thing, but it's like there are some great churches. There really are. But we've also seen over time a lot of churches kind of, it it's can be difficult to find its footing. There could be lots of reasons for that, but it's just so exciting to watch a church, another church like you guys, find its footing. I know of other two other church plants that are having a good go in the Tri-Cities, which makes me wonder if maybe God's doing a new thing here. Oftentimes we can find ourselves in the middle of such a healthy thing like this and think this is the thing that God's doing. But actually, as we pulse around the world, in Canada, around the world, what what we're seeing is God is doing a big thing on planet Earth right now. And our job is always just to sort of, like, get caught up in what God is doing. So I've got three kids, Hudson, Mary, and Millie. Hudson's six, or turning six this month. Mary is four, and Millie will turn two this month. And so Rach, who's here with me, Rach and I, we love our kids. We enjoy trying to figure out what it means to parent them. Right now, I'm trying to parent Hudson, like, really directly. Like, I'm just really trying to work on him because he's got a, he's like a, he's like a lawyer. He's like a five-year-old lawyer. And uh, so he's just, and he's, he's just debates on everything. Like, he just catches, you on know, technicality. And I feel like he sets us up three days in advance. He'd be like, hey, do you think I could have, like, a treat tomorrow? I'm like, that sounds totally reasonable. Of course, dude. And the next day, he's like, do you think I could just save that treat for tomorrow? But I could have... Like today's treat today and t- t- yesterday's treat tomorrow, like, like. So just one treat today. Yes, that sounds fine. And then like four days later, he's like, "Hey, so I want all four of those treats now." I'm like, "I'm like, whoa, what happened?" He's like, "You said, you said." And then I'm like, "I'm like, I think he's right. Like, I think he's got me on that one." <laughs> yesterday, yesterday, um, Hudson wanted to do a bottle drive, and he does these all the time. So he forces me to text my friends, ask them for pop bottles. And I just, I'm just trying to be really honest with him. So I texted my friend Lou. I said, hey, Lou, just so you know, Hudson wants to collect your pop bottles because Hudson's obsessed with cash. Like, totally obsessed. If you ask Hudson, what are you trying to buy with it? He's like, nothing. I just want the cash. Like, it's, it's not about what he can do with the cash. It's just a Scrooge McDuck sort of thing. He just wants to have it to swim in. And, um, and so I texted my buddy Lou. I said, hey, Lou, do you have any bottles? Just so you know, Hudson's not raising money for summer camp. And he's not planning to give it away. It's, it's just for him. Um, Anyways, I'm just trying to, like, teach him. Like, so yesterday we did the bottles. I spent an hour and a half, and I think I got paid, like, two Timbits out of the deal at the Bottle Depot, sticky up in my arms, doing this thing. And he's got all this cash now. And so then yesterday I was trying to teach him, like, hey, what can we do to thank Lou for all of his bottles and everyone else? And so he, like, taped a toonie to a letter, and we dropped off at Lou's. You know, trying to teach him, you know, like, you know, you got to, you know. He said, you could give to the church. He's like, I don't know about that. We're working on it. I'm I'm just... I'm just trying to pastor him. So one of the things that I taught Hudson a long time ago, um, but we're teaching our other kids, is is something that you've probably heard before. Stop, look, listen. You know stop, look, listen. You know if you're walking towards the edge of a sidewalk before you cross, you say, okay, you stop. So you don't run into the the road. You stop, you look, right? And you listen. Maybe there's a car around the corner you can't hear. Stop, look, listen. Similar to stop, drop, roll, but different applications. Stop, drop, roll is if you're on fire. Um, (laughs) You're supposed to Stop. (laughs) <laughs> whatever that means, when you're on fire. And you're supposed to drop, and you're supposed to just roll around on the ground. That's fire. But for if you're crossing a road, it's stop, look, and listen. And uh, I've really been thinking about this idea of stop, look, and listen a lot because I think that we live in actually the, the most distracted age in human history. Actually, I don't think this. This is this is something that most sociologists and uh, social commentators are, are talking about. I just started reading a book last night called Digital Minimalism by Cal Newport, which is one of the best-selling books right now, which is about, like, totally extracting yourself from digital engagement for a full month and then, then bringing it back like a cleanse, but like a digital cleanse. I mean, this is, this is the age we live in where it's constant distraction, constant busyness. Busyness is something that we're almost proud of, like, how's it going? Life's good. Yeah, it's busy. Super busy. Yeah, yeah. How about you? Yeah, busy. I'm busy. There's a lot going on. and I'm tired. I'm a bit tired, but, you know. It's just a season. But it's never just a season. It's constant busyness, constant tiredness, and it's constant distractedness. And I don't know if you believe in God or if you believe in in the devil, the enemy of God, but even if if you don't believe it's real, imagine for a second that there is a real devil and he wants to destroy your life. I think that one of his strategies is to just distract us from anything meaningful. Like, it's not just to, like, derail your whole life with total sabotage. It's just distractedness. Like, just so you can't get beneath the surface in relationships, and you can't quite feel stable or grounded, and there's always this low-grade anxiety that can rule your life. We're distracted people. In fact, anxiety, and and, and as a relationship to anxiety, depressive-related outcomes are the highest they've ever been in human history amongst teenagers since 2009. So they compared 2009 studies to 2017 studies on depression amongst teenagers, and it's up 60% in direct correlation with the uptake of smartphones. So we live in an age of distraction. distraction of busyness there are more ads that you will see in a day than somebody would have in a decade in 1950s like you're just you're surrounded by constant things asking for your attention and so in the midst of distraction I really do think we need to learn to stop and look and listen like we need to figure out what does it mean like just in one moment in the day to stop and to look and to listen. And there's a lot of applications for this, but there's one in particular I want to consider this morning. And it's actually to stop, look, and listen, and see other people. Wow. Just see other people. Have you ever thought about how many people you walk past in a day? Like, drive past. This morning, as I was obviously reflecting on this message, I'm, I, I never see them, but as I was thinking about this message, I could even see on the freeway, 100 kilometers an hour, this way, they're going to, I could see faces. And what's a, it's, it's actually quite overwhelming to even try this, is to consider where are they going, where have they been, what are they going through. It's almost too much to bear. But I think one of the things that's interesting is that we can go through a whole day, past thousands of people, hundreds of people, dozens of people, whatever your day looks like, but not see them. Because we have so much stuff going on. And as a result, we can find ourselves actually as followers of Jesus. I know not everyone here is a follower of Jesus. And so for some of you, this is, I think it's really important if you're not a follower of Jesus, to listen in on this conversation about what it means to be a follower of Jesus so you can work this out for your own heart. But as a follower of Jesus, one of the things that we're, part of the full life that God has invited us to is a life free of distractions. Well, sir, let me say, a life free of shallow distractions so that we can be distracted by the real meaningful things. One of the invitations of following Jesus, actually part of the full life, this is interesting, part of the full life that God has for you, every one of you is invited to full life in Jesus. He said, I came to bring life and life to full. Part of the full life that he's invited you to is a life caught up in seeing and serving others and so one of the ways that we can find ourselves not keeping in line with God's plan for our lives is actually just to spend our whole lives trying to see and serve ourselves and this is the paradox of the kingdom of God is that fullness of life is found when you're liberated from self-centeredness and you're free to serve God and then serve others that's actually that's actually full life it's, total, it's, and it, it's the great adventure of being like, man, I used to think my income was about me, but now I realize it's actually about others. I used to think my whole day was, how can I, what can I get out of the day? But then I realize my day has actually a renewed purpose, as I can serve and love others. We need to stop, look, and listen, because we're constantly distracted, and as a result, we don't see other people. The early church was famous for seeing other people. So there's historians that have tried to go back and make sense of the growth of the church in the first 400 years. Because I know it's hard to imagine this now, with there's like 2 billion people who would call themselves Christians around the world. And that, you know, you you grew up in Canada, and we celebrate Christian holidays. It's hard to imagine that there was a day where there was just hundreds of Christians on the other side of the world, in in and around Jerusalem and the surrounding areas. Just a few hundred, and then a few thousand. And I mean, it just started with one man, Jesus who came and brought some disciples around. It was hard to imagine. The reason why it's it's really confusing for um, historians is to make sense of its growth in the first centuries. And the reason why is, like, this movement had no money, had no political power. In fact, it was the opposite. The political and financial movements and power strongholds in the Roman Empire were actively trying to squash out Christianity. Like, like... Like, and this, this is, whether you're a follower this is a historical fact. You can go back. They're actively trying to squash it out because it was a threat to the power structure of the day. So even within Judaism, they're trying to maybe squash this thing or fringe this thing. But then in the power structures, the political power structures, of the day, they're actively trying to remove Christianity. So the question is, how did they grow in the first centuries? And there's a lot of reason this, but one historian, Rodney Stark, says that one of the things that stood out amongst Christians in the first centuries was their care for the poor and the broken. Like, there's, there's stories, and these are true, of, like, there would be, like, plagues that would go through towns and villages, and they didn't have cures for these plagues, and so what people would have to do is they'd leave their friends and family that were affected by this plague, and they would leave and abandon them, and Christians would go into those towns and villages and then bring care and love for those who had been abandoned, and those that would survive would become followers of Jesus, and this was actually a part, the, first Christians were famous for fasting a meal every day so they could give a meal away, and there's, even, even um, rulers in the Roman empires would write, we've never seen people who don't just care for their own, but care for those who are not their own. I mean, this is what Christians were famous for, was seeing the need and responding, seeing the need and responding. And this is the life that we see modeled in Jesus, a guy who's not so busy that he can't be distracted. There's all these accounts of Jesus walking here, and someone who's poor, or sick, or broken, and he, he pauses, and he sees them. I don't know what you've heard about Jesus or what your experience has been with Christians. I just invite you maybe this summer to read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you'll see someone you've never met before. Like, there's just no one quite like Jesus because, like, sometimes people make, try to make Jesus into this, like, really nice Canadian-type guy that doesn't cause any issues, and he's not like that at all. Like, there's parts of Jesus that is so offensive to my Canadian sensibilities the way he confronts people, the way he confronts injustice, the way he doesn't like pander to people's desires. I mean, he's just totally his own guy. I've never seen anyone like it. And then you see the way he treated people. Like, he just refused to play into any social or financial power structures. I mean, like, he just he would relate, he would tell the truth to anyone, he would treat everybody the same. And then he had this bend towards those on the margins, and you'd see people who are broke, and just the way he, he would pause and dignify them and see them. I mean, it's just staggering. I just invite you this summer just to read the Gospels and just look at the person of Jesus. The text I want to look at this morning is in Matthew chapter 9. And it's a really important text in the book of Matthew. And so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four Gospels. And the Gospel writers are doing a couple things. The first thing they want to do is they want to like, capture historically reliable account of some of the things that Jesus did in his lifetime. But they're also, it's, it's kind of an apologetic of sense. It's an apologetic first about who Jesus was, and the primary claim of all four Gospels that Jesus was not just a man, that he was God, that he claimed to be God, that there's evidence through his life, death, and resurrection that he was God. But then there's al- they're also trying to unravel the teachings of Jesus and how Jesus is planning to outwork his mission on planet Earth over time. And so this text captures a lot about the way in which Jesus wants to see planet Earth change. Let's, let's read the text together. we can throw it on the screen. It says this. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages. So we're in Matthew chapter 9. So we're, nine, we're eight chapters in. We're eight chapters are done. It says that Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. Let me just pause there. So what's happening in that verse is he's almost summarizing, Matthew, the writer, is summarizing the last four chapters. So if you flip through the four chapters before, you're going to see him doing exactly that. Proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, healing all kinds of sicknesses and disease, teaching the synagogues. So he's saying, this is what you've seen so far. Then it says this. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they're harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. So he's, he's seen a crowd of people that's gathered, and Jesus is coming to the end of this kind of ministry phase. And then there's just this, this real moment in time where he sees a group of people, and he has compassion on them. We'll talk more about that in a second. And then it says this. It says, then he turns to his disciples. He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. And then I don't have it up on the screen, but I want to read verse 1 of chapter 10 to you. It says, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. There's three things I want to show you. First, I want to show you the mission of Jesus. I think this text describes the mission of Jesus. Second, the motivation of the mission of Jesus. So this text shows us what is the mission of Jesus. Matthew wants to see this is what the mission of Jesus is. And then he wants to show us what is the motivation of the mission of Jesus. And there are a lot of different motivations for a lot of different types of missions, aren't there? Like everyone's driven by different things. You listen to an interview with Jeff Bezos or Steve Jobs or whatever it would be, and you wonder what's their motivation. For some of them, it's like, hey, I had this dream in my heart. My motivation was just to fulfill my dream. Other CEOs and business leaders, the motivation is financial gain, conquest, for others, it's I want to make a difference in the world. I want, you know, different motivations for different missions for different people. So we're going to discover what the motivation of the mission of Jesus And then lastly, we're going to see what the invitation to us is to join Jesus in his mission. First, the mission of Jesus. It says that Jesus went around the towns and villages, proclaiming the good news of the gospel and healing disease and sickness everywhere. This is what Jesus did. And it's what you're going to see all through the gospels. You find him on every corner, proclaiming. What's this idea of proclaiming? Jesus went around literally announcing to people that would listen some really, really good news. Like really good news. The message of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus was hope for hopeless people. Are you, do you feel like you're out of hope? There's hope for you. If you feel like you have a broken past, his message was you've got a future. To the anxious, it was peace. To the broken, it was restoration. To the lonely, it was that you're never alone. His message, the good news of the gospel, is you can know God. I mean, he was speaking to a diverse group of people. He was speaking to some people who were wildly religious, that were wrapped up in a religious system that had all these layers and boundaries. Where, like, if you were, um, if you were for example, a Gentile woman, so a non-Jewish woman, you couldn't even walk in to the place where they would go and try to encounter God in the temple. But if you were, like, a Jewish woman, you could go a certain distance in. But then you couldn't go any further. But then if you were a Jewish man, you could go a little bit further. And then if you, if you offered certain sacrifices, and if you were you know, certain things, certain people, and there's all these layers and all these rules. And to those people, he said, all these walls and divisions, I'm tearing them down. You can know God. No matter who you are, what you know. I mean, massively good news for those wrapped up in a religious system. There is all, he was also speaking to a lot of people who, who worshipped hundreds of gods and constantly lived in fear. Not relational gods, gods that kind of ruled the world. And you're constantly living like, where do I stand with God? He came and said, you can have a right relationship with God. Right. Not, not, not try to constantly live in the tension of like. He says, there's one living God, and you can know him, and his message for you is love. I mean, so he went around, good news for people who are uh, uh, agnostic or atheist. The message was, hey, your life has meaning and purpose. There is a living God, and you can know him. And when he went around proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The message of the kingdom of God was also this idea that we really got to talk more about, which is the idea that, The kingdom of God is closer than you think. So, Jesus went around saying the kingdom of God is not just far away, it's actually come close. It's something that is coming in its fullness in the, in, in the future, but it's also inaugurated in my coming now. And the kingdom of God is, is God's rule and reign. It's, it's his power and his love and his justice and his mercy and his peace. It's God's kingdom, how God wants it to be. He says, it's not as far as you think. It's at hand and it's coming. And Jesus came to say the kingdom of God is at hand. Good news. And then he said this. He says, are you poor? The kingdom's for you. Are you broken? The kingdom's for you too. Have you messed up? Kingdom's for you too. Like he came and just dropped all of these walls down. And all the narratives, all the social class narratives, all the religious class narratives, all the, he destroyed them all. He went around proclaiming good news. And then it says that he was healing sicknesses and disease. And we see this again and again. Him laying hands on the blind and they begin to see. The lame walking. One of my favorite accounts is in Matthew chapter 8. And Jesus meets this person with leprosy. And leprosy was this disease that um, just so impacted your body and your nervous system. And it was, it was so, um, in the time of Jesus, it was so um, seen as, as, uh, like, corrupted and, and wrong, that they were just totally, like, exiled from people. Like, no one would touch them, not just for fear of getting the disease, although that was part of it, but it was also just the fear of, like, what kind of, like, bad luck does this person have? What kind of, like, spiritual darknesses do they have that they, that they would have this disease? That was all kind of the you know, the, the, the belief around this disease. And it says this, says large crowds followed Jesus as he came down the mountainside. Suddenly a man with leprosy approached him and knelt before him. Lord, the man said, if you're willing, you can heal me and make me clean. It says that Jesus reached out and touched him. I'm willing, he said, be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared. I love that he healed him but just as much I love the way he healed him. Like it says that Jesus reached out and touched him. And nobody in this time would have touched him. And Jesus didn't need to touch him. Jesus could have been like, if a, you're healed. He could have done that. But we see all this compassion. I mean, there's just no one like Jesus. The ministry and mission of Jesus was to proclaim the good news of the gospel, to heal sicknesses and disease, and to do it in the way of love. And he's still doing it today. It wasn't just there and then, it's here and now. He's still proclaiming hope to the broken, peace for the anxious, love for the isolated. He's still healing bodies and minds and hearts and relationships, and many people in this room could testify. My marriage has been healed by Jesus. Just this week, I met another person whose addiction to alcohol. I mean, he was just addicted for years, alcohol and drugs. I hadn't seen him since high school, and I said, "Bro, how's it going?" He says, "Dude, two and a half years clean. Two and a half years clean. Man, he's still doing it today. He's still doing it today. Porn- I just hung out with a guy who was totally addicted to pornography. It was sabotaging an entire marriage. Totally free. Totally free. Not just in a zap." Just in the process of following Jesus in the context of Christian community, I'm just seeing the people addicted to gambling, set free, marriages on the, on the edge of breaking, restored, people totally gripped by fear of what's going to happen tomorrow, finding peace. I mean, God is doing it today. What He did, then and there he's doing today. His mission hasn't changed. God's at work on planet Earth. Second point, the motivation of the mission of Jesus. It says that when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. And this word compassion literally means, in the original language, moved in his gut. So I don't know like, what compassion means to you. This is the only language word we've got in the English language, but the, what's really going on here, it says that his, his gut hurt with love towards them. Like he was, he was moved, like it was a physical response to the nature of love and compassion he felt for the crowd. And he would have seen in the crowd political oppression, spiritual oppression, physical oppression. He would have seen so much brokenness. And as Jesus gazed at the crowd, his heart was moved with compassion. And I just want to pause here for a moment and just ask you, when you think of the way that God looks at you, do you feel like he looks at you with compassion? The Apostle Paul said that Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. In other words, if you want to know what God is like, Look at Jesus. And what we see is Jesus seeing a people who are marked by all sorts of brokenness, including brokenness at their own hand, their own sin, their own shortcoming. The narrative that we often end up in our imaginations, and I think that the world thinks about God, is if he is real, he's just constantly disappointed in us. And he's just constantly like, there's a look of disapproval and distaste. But what we see here is love a look of compassion. Um, my friend Jaden uh, recently shared just his own, his, a, a lot of his own struggles with different sin in his life. And he described this moment um, when, he, when he was praying with God and he felt like God took him back to a memory when he was a r- young kid where he was first exposed to some of this sin. And what he experienced with God in prayer was God almost with him saying, you were just a kid. And I know that sounds like a small line, but it was like he felt all the compassion of God's towards him. And said, hey, when this whole thread started, you're just a kid. And it was almost like in that moment it just broke him open. He'd just been beating himself up so badly, thinking he's a constant disappointment to God. But then to see the compassion of God even in the midst of his brokenness liberated him. Just to stand face to face with God, that's the only place you can find power. That's the only place you can find hope in the midst of your sin. And just to know that he looks at you with compassion. And imagine if the city of of Coquitlam or the city of Port Coquitlam or Port Moody or wherever you're from could know that the way that God gazes at us is with compassion. Like his gaze towards the city is compassion. What is compassion? It's a heightened awareness to the needs of others. Jesus constantly aware of the needs and responding. Are they hungry? Let's feed them. Are they sick? Let's heal them. And the deepest thing that he's compassionate towards is towards the fact that they don't live with the knowledge that God is for them and they can know God. They don't live in relationship with their maker. And so his heart is, it's hard as moved. That's what we find him proclaiming. I'm just so thankful that the motivation of the mission of Jesus was compassion. Sometimes, and we and I repent for this, sometimes the mission of Christians is motivated by guilt. Maybe you've felt like you need to share your faith or help at church because you feel guilty for not doing enough. And while the activity might be fine, the motivation's actually exhausting at best, corrupting at worst. We also see a lot of movements that are motivated by power. Sadly, even movements named like Christian movements. It's actually about gaining power over people and Getting our club to be a bit bigger. I know I've been guilty of that sometimes. Maybe not power, but wanting to have a bigger club. Like I love this group of people. Let's let's grow our group. Let's 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 invite people to church so our church can grow. And then all of a sudden the motivation for the mission is actually like some sort of warp, sort of maybe even insecurity or but what we see in Jesus is it wasn't power he was after. It wasn't guilt. It wasn't some abstract sense of trying to grow his own thing. It was compassion. The motivation of the mission of Jesus was compassion. That's what kicked him off. I mean, that's what got him waking up in the morning. It was that he wanted to see people's lives changed. And I believe that you and I were invited to share the same motivation. That God would share his heart for others with us. You know, we talked at the beginning about how distracted we are. And, and it, it actually erodes our compassion. Another way to look at it is like our distractedness can callous our heart or put blinders on our eyes. And what we need to pray is like, God, would you share your heart? Like, Jesus, this, the same response you had when you saw the crowds could I have when I see people in my school, when I see people in my workplace, in my city. Because he wants to share that, that love for others. Man, we can be so guilty of being judgmental. When God touches our heart with compassion, the judgment just melts. It melts. You stop trying to put people into categories and figuring out are they like a good candidate or not. And all that stuff is garbage. When compassion motivates you and a sense of partnering with God, it changes the script. I remember um, uh, I was challenged by one of my youth leaders to start praying my yearbook. I was in high school every night so I just pray through these faces in my yearbook and just what God just began to do in my heart is every night I pray one page of my yearbook just soften my heart towards my friends at school and not all at once but over time I just my, my calloused heart just began to soften and I just would find myself just, just bent over longing for my friends to know Jesus and as Rach and I are just beginning to think through and a group of people and I've got a bunch of friends from our church plant coming in the second service as we think about Moving to Vancouver, my prayer is, God, touch my eyes with your compassion for the city. like Just that I would see people the way you see people. The last thing we see in this text and one here is, we also see the invitation for us to join the mission. You throw that second part of the text up there. It says this, so... You see, Matthew does this summary of all the activity of Jesus. Up until this point, you see Jesus healing people. You see Jesus feeding people. You see Jesus proclaiming the gospel. Then he sees the crowd and he's moved with compassion. And then his response is not, I'm going to go back out there and just do more activity. His response is, turns to the disciples and says, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Asked the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. And then verse 1 of chapter 10. So Jesus called his 12 disciples to him, and he gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Do you see what's happening? Do you see what Matthew's doing? Because now what we're going to start reading is the disciples joining Jesus in the work. And then do you know how Matthew ends his whole gospel? He says this. You go and make disciples of all the world. Don't worry. I'm going to be with you. That's how it ends. So Matthew is talking about who Jesus is, the mission of Jesus, but then he begins to unfold the way in which God wants to accomplish his mission of healing and proclaiming on planet Earth. And here's the punchline. It's you and me. This is his plan. You might not like the plan. You might not think it's a good plan. I've questioned God on his plan. Are you sure that you shouldn't just show up yourself and do the work, but he in his wisdom and his kindness, and I think because he loves you so much, he wants to liberate you from the selfishness that comes by just trying to satisfy yourself and give you the joy of getting caught up in the mission of God. Here's what we discover. You and I are invited to join God in the mission that he started and inaugurated in his coming, to heal diseases and sicknesses, to bring restorations to families and communities, and to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. To be moved by compassion, you know. You know what? I just feel like, man. So often, people our age—and I say "our" being like just the most inclusive way I could possibly say that—our age, we're uh, we're really overwhelmed by what's our purpose on planet Earth. What's my call? What's my which? It's, it's about vocation, but it's more than that. Like, what's my job? What's, and i really believe that you've been wired with unique gifts and abilities and god has special jobs for you in store but i just think that his his plan for your life isn't as confusing as we make it the world is his will for your life the world and it's to love him and join him in the mission so if you're flipping burgers or you're counting numbers as a cpa you're selling houses or you're serving your family or neighbors or you're cutting steel. Man, if you're not happy in your work, man, I just, I really believe that God will bring joy to your vocation and get you in a place where you can line up your gifts. But I believe wherever you are, you can walk in the will of God by loving Him and loving others. I love that we're doing a series called Staycation um, because I think that We often think on missions as a place we go overseas. We go away to go on vacation. We go away to go on mission. Um, But the real mission's here. In fact, it's easier to go away for three weeks and do three weeks of mission to people you might not have to see again. Just focus, get away from the things, the vices in your life, but to actually outwork your mission here where you're face to face with your vices, with your reputation, that's where the life is. That's what you're called to. And so we see the mission of Jesus to proclaim good news, to bring restoration, to bring healing, motivated by compassion and a great invitation for you and I to join him. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for our time together this morning. And, uh, Just if, you, if you're comfortable, there's no magic posture or anything like that. But maybe close your eyes or bow your heads. Just whatever it looks like for you just to reflect for a little bit. I'm kind of like just trying to get out of the habit of talking about things and being like, wow, good thing to talk about, but not letting it actually do its work inside of me. So I just want to just slow down a little bit and um, just give us a chance just to maybe even reflect or just invite God to be like, hey, wh- which part of this message or this service this morning are you wanting to like... Anchor in my heart. So just take a moment just to reflect. If you're comfortable, you just invite God. Say, God, would you just, what do you want to speak to me this morning? What do you want to do in my heart? Holy Spirit, I just invite you to come. Just minister to us in this place. We love your presence, God. I know you're here, but could you be more here? Just like awaken our senses to you. Come and reveal yourself and, and do the ministry that you love to do, God. I just ask that you do even more than we expected on a Sunday morning. Even now, as you just come and One of the first things I think I want to just pray for specifically is I just want to I want to pray that God would just help us have a revelation of his compassion towards us. If we're ever going to actually give compassion away and love away, we have to have a source. And the the, the best source is going to be his love and his compassion. I just feel like so often we we just lose touch with that. Just So Holy Spirit, would you come and would you just give us a revelation of the way that you look towards us with compassion, with so much kindness and tenderness, longing for restoration and healing. God, I pray if our imagination pictures you with disappointment or disapproval or distance, God, I pray that that, 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 that improper view would be erased and we just see your compassionate and fierce love that wants to liberate us and break the chains of sin and set us free draw us close to you if you're here and you're like me and you are you know you're just distracted i mean there is like a low grade anxiety that almost ruins your life and you're just there's just a million things and maybe you're exhausted by it and that, that feeling of exhaustion is visceral even now or you just say I just know that man I'm just missing I'm just missing the reality of the needs around me because I'm just so in my world and this is, there's no guilt there's no shame if that's you I just want to pray for you I'm not going to make you raise your hand or anything but just that's you I just want to pray for you specifically this morning so whatever it looks like for you just consciously to be like yeah that's me in your mind or your heart just that's me Lord Jesus I pray that you would set us free from our addiction to busyness, our constant distractedness. Actually, God, we need a miracle because literally our brains have been rewired with constant distractions. God, we don't even know how to listen and sit through a whole movie anymore. We can't sit and read, God. We're just, we need you to literally come into our life and just reorder. And God, we've scheduled our days so packed that there's just no room for any sort of kingdom distraction. God, I pray that you would just come and just lead us in a path of wisdom as we try to reorder our lives around you. God, for those that are just under the weight of anxiety and that constant feeling of busyness and they're just looking for a rest, God, I pray that this summer they'd find rest in you and that you'd give them the courage to make radical decisions. And lastly, God, I just pray that you would touch our hearts with compassion, that we would see people and that we'd be moved to tears. God, that we'd see the spiritual need, that we'd long for people to know you in a new and fresh way. We see the physical needs, and we'd long for people to find a home and shelter and food. God, the social needs, that we long to bring people into community, God, that you'd do something in our hearts. And God, when it becomes too much and too overwhelming, God, I pray that he would draw us to intimacy with you. because we learn to walk with you in this dance of sharing your burdens with you. God, we give you our burdens, but then we ask you to also share yours with us. God, that our hearts be moved by the things that move yours. Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, lastly, I just want to give a chance if you're here, and uh, maybe you've never made a decision to follow Jesus. I know it's part of the rhythms of this church family. Every Sunday to make sure that there's just not a Sunday that goes by, that you're not given an opportunity to give your lives to Jesus. And so in just a moment, I'll ask everyone to close their eyes again, and I'm going to actually invite you, if you want, to become a follower of Jesus. Just to shoot up your hand. Everyone's eyes will be closed. I'll have my hands up because I want my eyes open because I want to pray for you. It's just a chance for you to say, this is the morning. And I realize that for a lot of you, you might have been on this journey towards God, but you've never made a moment where you say, like, man, I want to make Jesus the centerpiece of my life. I want to receive his forgiveness and his love, and I want to put him at dead center of my life. You might be like, man, I think I've been exploring this thing, but you've never actually had a moment where you decided. Or maybe you walked in this door today and you said, no, I know I'm not a follower of Jesus, but something about what God is doing, you're saying, man, I want to take a step towards God. And there's no magic formula. What I'll do is I'll lead you in a short prayer, and you can pray those words after me, but you can make the words your own. It's really about the posture of your heart. And I just want to create a moment this morning for anybody that would like to, to give their lives to Jesus. So why don't we just close our eyes one more time, bow our heads. If you're here and this morning you're saying, man, I want to make a decision. I want to mark this morning as the day that I decided to follow Jesus. Michael, you shoot up your hand. I just want to lead you in a prayer. Is everyone here? Okay, here's what we're going to do. If you shut up your hand, or if you're like, man, I want to pray that, but I didn't have the courage to show my hand, I want you to just pray this after me. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you can just whisper this along. Why don't you say this? Say, Dear Jesus, Dear Jesus I thank you that, you love, that you, know you love me. You had compassion towards me. I compassion towards me. And I don't, I, I don't believe I deserve it. But I want to receive your gift of love, your gift of, love. Your, gift of your gift of forgiveness. God, all of my past, God, of my past the good, the bad given it to you, giving it to you. All, my future, all my future, my dreams, my hopes, my, my fears, my fears. I, give to I give it to you too, thank you for your forgiveness, thank you for, your forgiveness for giving your life for, me. I'm giving you life for me, and now I'm inviting you, I'm inviting you into, my heart, into my heart, to be my friend, to be my, friend. my savior. My savior. You prayed that prayer this morning. I want to thank you, encourage you. Welcome to the family of God. This is the beginning of a journey. I want to hand the mic to Troy. He's going to throw us the next steps at you. Thanks for having me this morning. We love you guys. Keep it going. Actually, Pastor Jason, can we bring you and Rachel up? bring both you guys
1: up? So good. Can we, we just want to bring the two of them up. And I want to take a moment as a church family to pray for them in this season where they're gathering team and going to plant. So I want to invite my Rachel to come up you. But church, would you just stretch out a hand this morning? Thank you so much, the two of you, for being here today. And we just want to stretch an arm out. We want to release them and send them out. God, thank you for Jason and Rachel. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the word that you spoke just so directly to our hearts and to our church through them. God, we pray. This upcoming season is exciting and crazy. There can be fear attached to it, God. I pray in Jesus' name that you would just equip and empower them and their team to just go all out for you, God. Raise up just courage inside of them, God, as they go to Vancouver, God, as they go to plant a church in the coming months, God, next year, Father. I pray in Jesus' name that you would just surround them with your love, surround them with your grace, God. As they go into this day, wherever they plant their foot, God, that you would give them Just complete, complete freedom, God, to share your work. God, I pray you'd open doors that were shut right now, God, that you would open huge doors. God, we pray for provision for them, God, for the money needed to launch a church in one of the most expensive cities on the planet to live. I pray in Jesus' name, you just open up the relationships that they need, God, in Jesus' name thank you for the mission and the calling and the purposes on their life. God, we stand together as Resonate Church with them today, God. We're so proud of them. Thank you that you're smiling on them, that you're going ahead of them even right now into that city, God. I just thank you in advance for the lives that will be changed, the the healing that will happen in the city of Vancouver because Jason and Rachel decided to take a step out of their comfort zone and into the fullness of their purpose and your plan for them, God. We just stand with them today. We love them In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Come on, can we give it up one more time for Pastor Jason and Rachel? Thank you guys so much.